Hello, and welcome to episode 88 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Today's episode is about decision-making, but before we get into it, a warm welcome to Matt H., Sean M., Elena O., and Joey G., the newest members of the Modern Manager community. I am so grateful for your support, and I'm really, really excited for you to be elevating your management skills. I hope that you're finding all the episode guides and guest bonuses helpful on your Rockstar Manager journey. And please join me in the member-only Slack community where you can ask questions, share your advice, and be part of a network of managers who care about creating thriving teams. Now, if you're tuning in for the first time and you're like, what was Mamie just talking about? What is this membership all about? How do I get into that Slack community? Or you're a longtime listener and just haven't made it a priority to join, I hope that you will consider it. Memberships start at just $2 a month. Go to mamieks.com slash join. So now decision-making. This can be one of the hardest or scariest parts of being a manager. Which decisions do you need to make? Which ones should you be letting go of and letting team members make for themselves? Should we make our decisions as a team? Should we try to get consensus? What does consensus even actually mean? In this episode, I'll walk through a few different decision-making models that should help give you some frameworks to apply to your decision-making. And we'll cover how to think about who owns which decisions, different ways to be involved in the decision-making process, and different methods for making decisions. So let's get to it. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. First off, you should know that I buy into the idea that the people who are closest to the work should be making the decisions. This means that the people that are most affected by the decision, or those who need to implement the decision, should be at a very minimum part of the discussion, and at most, the full-on decision makers. Research has shown that when those who are closest are making the decisions, the decision quality is higher and the buy-in for implementation is greater, which makes sense since you often have more knowledge than the people who are only tangentially related to the decision. And when you're part of making a decision, it's easier for you to follow through and implement it. But I hear over and over again from managers and leaders that they're just not sure that their team members are ready for that kind of authority or responsibility, or they don't have enough perspective, or that the manager brings some other layer of understanding. And then if the decision authority is handed over, those decisions won't be as well-informed and therefore not as good. But in fact, that's not what the research and case studies have proven to be time and time again. While of course you don't want to just hand over decision-making responsibilities to anyone, having a clear decision-making process can enable you to empower decisions to be made by your team members who are the right people. And when this happens, productivity goes up because work is streamlined, employee engagement goes up because people feel a sense of ownership, trust increases, which has a positive halo effect on a lot of things, and people learn and grow, which prepares them for future success. So how do you know which decisions should be made by whom? Well, first, let's look at how to think about risk in relationship to decisions. Because underneath your concern about decision-making is the fear that if a bad decision is made, it's going to cause problems. So in an attempt to reduce the risk of a bad decision, we tend to keep that decision-making authority for ourselves. So what determines if a decision is risky or not, and how risky it is? I like to use the model of impact versus changeability. You may have heard me mention this before because it's a model that I find extremely useful for a lot of things. 
Now, on one side, you have the impact of a decision. How visible is it? How important is the impact or the result of the decision? Will it be seen or felt by customers? Will it have a domino effect on other work? Or is it more isolated to just me or just this project or just this particular moment? It's a spectrum. So remember, the impact can fall anywhere along the line from being low to high. The other dimension is changeability. How easy, fast, and cheap is it to change the decision after it's been made? Is it a quick update and then things are back on track? Or is there a high cost to undo it? If you break this into a matrix with four quadrants, it can then help you figure out who should be involved in what ways for each type of decision. I apologize in advance if this is starting to get a little abstract without having a visual to look at. The mini guide this week has this visual with some more details, and you can get that by going to mamieks.com slash miniguides. And if you are already a subscriber, it is in your inbox. But regardless, stick with me and hopefully this will all make sense in a minute. So we've got our two by two matrix and let's look at each quadrant. First, we've got decisions that are low impact, high changeability. These are very low risk decisions because they don't have a big impact on people and they are very easy to change. Decisions that fall in here are things like, which website should we use to get our photos for our blog? Another example would be, how frequently should we hold our team meetings and what should we do during that time? you can easily adjust how frequently you meet and the agenda for each of those meetings, even in the moment. Then we've got low impact, low changeability. These have a slightly higher risk because they're harder to change. But the fact that they are low impact means that you can probably live with the result even if it's not ideal. These are decisions like, what food should we order for our lunch meeting with the client? Or what colors should we paint the walls in our new office? or which project management tool should we use as a team. I tend to put most team software choices into this category. And that's because for the most part, they all do a similar enough kind of thing. A CRM is a CRM, a task tool is a task tool. But of course, if you're a huge company and you're gonna talking about rolling something out for everybody or something that's gonna be highly integrated and critical for your core functions, that's a little bit different. That's not low impact. But if you're talking about just your team, then the impact is relatively small. The bigger issue is that once you get up on the learning curve and get your data into it, it really sucks to have to change to a new one. All right, then we have high impact, high changeability. These are decisions that might be widely seen but are easily changeable. So if something isn't going well as a result, the ship can quickly be righted. Think of these as experimental spaces where you might do something like some new messaging on your website. If after a day or two, the conversions go down, you could easily change the messaging back or try different messaging. And then lastly, we have high impact, low changeability. These are the big important decisions that need to be carefully considered. These are things like changing your company branding or deciding to host an event and publicizing it widely to your audience. Because once you start publicizing it, it's hard not to follow through on holding it. And it is very costly to hold an event that you don't actually wanna be doing. So as you plot your various decisions, you can now think about the various roles and ways in which you and your team members and others need to be involved in that decision. I like the RAPIDS model because it expands how we think about who is part of this decision. It's not as simple as I make it or you make it or we make it together. There are actually six roles, if you will, when it comes to making a decision, and they follow the acronym RAPIDS. Now, just a quick note that if you have heard of Rapids before or you Google this, my model is slightly different. So here it is. 
R is for recommend. This is the person or the group of people who are going to make a recommendation. Often people present options and then their suggestion, which is then backed up by data or research or their thinking. As the recommender, you're not deciding this, but you're offering up what you believe is the best solution. Next, we have A for agree. These are the people who must agree with a recommendation before it can move forward. Oftentimes, the agree role gets conflated with the decider role. Think of agreeing mean that you don't need to be 100% on board, but that you're not going to block or veto the decision. I'll talk about how to measure agreement a little bit later using a fist of five method. But for now, if someone who must agree doesn't, then they need to work with the recommenders to find a solution or elevate it to the decider. Next, we have P for parameter setter. This is the role that gets to set the parameters or the boundaries of the decision. What criteria need to be met? What factors are most important? Sometimes the person in the parameters role is also the decider or an agreer, but not always. This is important when you are delegating a decision to someone else, but you set the limitations on what that decision can be. And in essence, you've pre-authorized your agreement as long as the decision is meeting these parameters. Now we've got I for input. These are the people who have something relevant and important to offer to the thinking that's going into this decision, but actually no authority to make the decision. Again, this is often a place where roles get conflated and people who should only have input take on the agree or decide roles. This is especially true of teams that have historically sought consensus. Sometimes you just need input. People who provide input can be inside or outside the team or even outside the company. Once you've identified who needs to be giving the input, it's the job of the recommenders to go and gather it. Now we've got D, decider. The decision maker or makers are those who actually own the outcome of the decision. If it's more than one person, you're either going to be having some sort of voting with majority rules, or you're going to be looking for a concurring decision. And I'm going to talk more about that a little bit later. If you're aiming for consensus in its true form, then more likely the full group is not the deciders but actually agreeers, and there are some subset of the group that are the actual deciders. Again, we'll get into this in more detail in just another minute, because the last rule I want to get to is S, sharing. These are the people who need to be informed of a decision after it's been made, because it somehow impacts them in their work, so they need to have the decision shared with them. So that's the RAPIDS model. As you think about who should be in what role, remember that you want the people closest to the work to be included in the decision and to give them a role with as much authority as possible. So in terms of how you use RAPIDS as a model or process with your team, try clarifying who belongs in which role before getting into the decision itself. Either you or a colleague can do a first draft at identifying the people and the roles and then have a conversation about it. And if you disagree, first seek to understand why you have a difference of opinion and then explain why you believe each person needs to be in the role that you're suggesting. The important point though, is to do this before you start rather than waiting until you're in the midst of a conversation and things are messy or ambiguous. I have seen and heard teams time and again get into the end of a meeting and then be unclear about a decision because they didn't explicitly state who had the D or how it was gonna be made. Or the team makes a decision and they share it with their boss who then says no, either because they missed some particular criteria or the boss sees a bigger picture that this team didn't have that information around. But either way, they missed an important piece of the decision-making process and therefore ended up with a decision that had to be revisited. 
And the same is true for teams who are moving through a project and then loop in a senior leader or someone from another department who says, wait a minute, you forgot about XYZ when making these choices. So now you've got to go back three steps and course correct. It's really not fun for anyone. It's not fun for the leader or that outside colleague who feels frustrated that they weren't included earlier and maybe has now lost a little bit of trust or faith in the team because the team missed that crucial point. And it's not fun for the team itself who's now frustrated because they have to redo work or they see this person as derailing them. That is why it's so important to identify who needs to give input, who is setting the parameters, and who needs to agree. So as you think through each project or each phase or each milestone or each important decision, figure out who belongs in each of those roles, not just who is the decision maker. There's a template in this week's full guide that recaps the RAPIDS model and gives you an outline for how to use it with your team. Okay, now we've come to the actual decision-making moment. If you are making decisions as a group, there are basically three options. Concurring, majority rules, and consensus. Concurring means everyone is working together to find a solution that everyone can agree with. It gives equal voice to each person, both on the input side and the outcome side. Whereas majority rules may give each person an equal voice on the input side, but then after the vote, Even if some people are strongly against it, they are overruled. When concurring, a decision isn't final until everyone supports it. Not just says, I can live with it, but actually supports it. And that's where this is different from consensus, in which, yes, ideally everybody supports it, but the decision is final as long as no one objects or vetoes. People may not love the decision, but they're okay with it going forward and they're willing to support it or at least not undermine it. To reach a concurring decision or consensus, it's helpful to have a way to gauge people's position on the options at hand. Personally, I like the fist of five method. You ask the group to hold up the number of fingers that corresponds to their position. A full hand or all five fingers means I am 100% on board or 95% would be okay. Four fingers means that I am mostly in favor, but there may be one or two things that I prefer were different or I feel like maybe are not quite resolved. Three fingers means I'm neutral. I don't love this decision, but I won't block it either. Two fingers means I dislike this decision. There are things about it that I disagree with or I'm just not comfortable going forward on. One finger means I'm actively against this decision. And finally, a fist or zero fingers means I am strongly against this decision and I will not support it and might even actively try to stop it if we were to go this route. It is very rare for someone to raise a fist But if somebody feels that strongly, it is important for the group to know it. For a concurring decision, everyone needs to be at least a four. And for consensus, everyone needs to be at least a three. This is an important difference. I've been in conversations where as soon as we clarify if we're making consensus or a concurring decision, suddenly it becomes so easy and we realize that we've already actually come to our conclusion. We just didn't realize it. It can be helpful to have some shared language and understanding of decision-making with your team. So I'd suggest that you either print out the models from the guide or share this episode or the related blog article and take a few minutes to talk about how you make decisions. Work with each of your direct reports on which decisions you can empower them to take on and which roles you'll play. Remember that it is your job as the manager to ensure that the decision is low enough risk that it's not going to sink the ship, that you're going to avoid any giant mistakes and that the roles are clear, and that you or others are included in the decision process in the appropriate ways. The mini guide for today's episode has that risk and changeability matrix. 
and includes some details on how to think about who should be making which types of decisions. And that is available at mamieks.com slash miniguides. To get the full guide, which has all the models we covered today, the Rapids template, and more, join the Modern Manager community. Go to mamieks.com slash join. That website is M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com. And for $15 a month, you get all of the full episode guides and the guest bonuses and all of the previous ones to help you implement the learnings from each episode. And if you become a member before February 11th, you will be in the running to receive an amazing bonus from previous guest, Steve Sisler of episode 85. He is offering three incredible assessments and a special coaching debrief with him. It is amazing. So you definitely want to get into the running for that because I will be drawing one person at random on February 12th. If you just want this episode guide, you can purchase it and any other individual full guide at mamieks.com slash store. As always, these links are in the show notes and they're in your inbox along with that free mini guide if you have subscribed to my newsletter, which you can do at mamieks.com slash podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.